Hello, and welcome back to the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. I said welcome back like we just had like a commercial break or something, but we're in the middle of a series, so I assume you're coming back because we're on part two. Anyway. You're doing what I used to do for Lions Live by Donkeys and simply forcing Roz to listen to like 10 hours of it in a row. That's right. Um, I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hey, Joe. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. It was my, uh, it, it won't matter when this comes out, but it was my, my fifth first date anniversary with Corinne today. And it still counts. We I celebrated mean, by her getting food poisoning. That's how I celebrate all of my, my anniversaries. How do you, catastrophic food poisoning yes I, I gotta how do you keep track of like what you remember exactly what date your first date was on bumble bro ah <laughs> uh, okay okay so there's like there's evidence there's evidence yes 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 interesting i've never been in a situation where i like remember exactly when the first date of whatever relationship i was in that's because you're a selfish lover joe that's right <laughs> <laughs> you kind of Kind of disheartening how how quick you were with that. I know what I am. It's fine. The, the the first the first key to accepting yourself is knowing who you are. I guess that's true. I don't even know if that's true. I think I just made that up. Um, <laughs> Liam, last time we were we were uh, uh, we were potting. We were casting a pod. Uh, we were talking about King Philip's War um, Part. And it ended in the the worst murder investigation in colonial American history, uh, at least one that I've ever read about. Oh, he's still warm. This is the body. Uh, and now we're going to do a genocide about it. Uh, I mean, what what can you expect here? Like Plymouth NCIS or something. Um, like, wow, remember, that would be one depressing television show. Uh, for one, I'd probably watch it. It would be the only like C- CSI NCIS episode I've ever actually watched. Uh, but... I mean, if you remember, like they're a couple years away from doing um, like the the Salem witch, witch trials. Yeah, the Salem witch trials. These people are not the smartest motherfuckers on earth. All right, <laughs> like, that is true. That that is true. So when we left you last time, the colonies of New England kind of edged their way into what became a massively catastrophic war via inventing racist homeowners associations, also known as. Homeowners associations. Yeah, but you repeat yourself. Defund the HOA. (laughs) And becoming horribly paranoid that all they're fucking around would eventually lead to an era known as finding out. And this era would start on June 20th, 1675 with the raid on Swansea, Massachusetts. Is it Swansea? Am I fucking that up? Swansea. Yeah, it's fine. Swansea. Okay. Swansea. Perfect. Uh, I don't know. Shox is going to find a way to get mad at this episode anyway. Who gives a shit? <laughs> all the all the funny region, like the all, all the little regional things, always end with someone getting mad at me, and I've just learned to accept it. Yeah, uh, please leave. Please forever to leave a five star review and don't hate us. Much like the uh, the the movie Lord of War, when he says, "You know, I am a Lord of War," he's like, "It's Warlord." He's like, well, I, I like it my way better. Yes, that, that's my response whenever I pronounce anything wrong. I like it my way better. I, hey, man, you know, uh, it's your podcast. I'm just I'm just here to party. <laughs> so this was considered by colonists to be the long awaited, massively well organized native uprising against them. Because remember, they've been worried about this for probably decades at this point. Um, but it wasn't. There's no proof that that massive multi tribe wide native conspiracy ever existed in any real way. Um and there's no proof that Philip even had anything to do with the raid on Swansea at all. 
there is evidence that he was gathering men for something. But when the raid happened, when he heard about the raid on Swansea, he actually broke down into tears because he kind of knew what was going to come next. Right. Like, Massive reprisals. And yeah. All that. The closest thing we have to a declaration of war by Philip is when he said, quote, the English who first came to this country were a handful of people, forlorn, poor, and distressed. Well, actually, the English are still kind of like that. Um, yeah. Philip yeah. didn't say that. I said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys suck. Uh, uh, not, us, not us Americans who are cool and good, of course. And certainly not poor, genocidal poor Lord, maniacs. Poor yeah. distressed. Uh, my father, who was then Sachem, he relieved their distresses in the most kind and hospitable manner. He gave them land to plant and build upon. They flourished and increased. By various means, they got possessed of a great part of this territory. But he still remained their friend till he died. My elder brother became Sachem. They pretended to suspect him of evil designs. He was seized and confined and thereby thrown into illness and died. Soon after, I became Sachem. They disarmed all of my people. Their lands were taken. But a small part of the dominion of my ancestors remained. I am determined not to live until I have no country. That's the closest thing anybody has that Philip was planning a war. Right. Um, and I, I would argue that's not really much of a declaration of war. No, that's just a guy who wants to be left alone. Yeah, it's, it's a guy that's pretty, pretty mad, you know? Yeah, I would be mad too. Please get the fuck off my land. Thanks. Please stop shooting at, at, shooting at us and stealing our food. Stop, be, stop doing racist homeowner association <laughs> shit at me. Oh, Philip wasn't exactly a military genius or the, or the leader of a powerhouse tribe in the region. I mean, there, Philip never fought in any war that anybody's aware of. Um, and the native politics were a fucking minefield. And admittedly, Philip wasn't that good at them. He never really had to be. You know, his whole life, he's had to dance around the British. He's never had to. He, he never really learned how native politics work pre-British. He wasn't, he wasn't old enough. Many tribes still had loyalties to the British, forced or otherwise. Um, some tribes, like the Skonnet, tore themselves apart over the issue with their leaders saying they were staying loyal to the British, but many of their warriors giving their Sachem the middle finger and going off to Philip's camp when everything started kicking off. This this happened quite a bit, actually, because the, the leaders... More than a few people sort of saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, and, and their leaders were the ones that benefited um, from their forced or otherwise relationship with the British. Like, they're the ones that got the favors that the, the normal people just got fucked. No, dude, trickle-down works. You're a <laughs> moron. Shut up. And trickle-down colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> just colonialism pyramid scheme. What if Ronald Sorry, Reagan... multi-level ran... marketing, my bad. Yeah. What if Ronald Reagan ran the British East, East India Company? Oh, that curse sentence. Uh, now, at the raid at Swansea, it wasn't even actually Philip's tribe who did it. A band of Pocahoket uh, warriors attacked Swansea. They looted several homes and set others on fire. Colonies at the time were normally supposed to be garrisoned by members of the militia, which we talked about in the last episode with their with their cool courting rituals of set, like shooting muskets next to people's heads. Um, mm. Gotta love it. Ladies, if you're listening... <laughs> Joe knows his way around a musket. Just gonna like, hello, nice to meet you. Just blasting a black powder musket in, in, in between our feet and through the dirt. Like, wow. hey man, tonight this makes everyone horny. There's a, I don't know why. I've never been able to get a second date. I don't get it. <laughs> I <laughs> like, said, but, but Liam said tonight this made everyone horny. 
I go through a lot of black powder, but no second date. You have tinnitus, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Of course I do. <laughs> Uh, uh, now these these militiamen were supposed to be uh, stationed within blockhouses, which you know we talk about blockhouses quite frequently in the show, like the bunker bunkers of some kind. But the, that's not really what these were. Uh, just think of it, it was the blockhouse was the most sturdily built house in the in the town. Um, like it has decent walls and stuff like that, but concrete bunker or something. These are not. However, these garrisons and blockhouses, even the every, everything, was left up to the local government to maintain, and oftentimes they just didn't do it. Uh, so the garrison houses or blockhouses um, were also supposed to be like a safe house for the population of whatever town that they just run in. Um, and they they did do this in Swansea. There were no militia there, but the people just flooded into the blockhouse and. Uh, Word got to the governor of Massachusetts that, you know, the raid had happened. And, and this wasn't like a horribly destructive raid. Certainly not the worst one we're going to talk about in the remainder of the series, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, it was eye-opening for the Massachusetts governor, right? However, there's actually another version uh, of these events that kind of change what the raid might be. And we don't know which one is true because um, it's the 1600s. Uh, and the event that this version was written by John Easton, that Quaker that we talked about, um, he's been he'll be he'll be involved as like a historian of this conflict pretty much throughout. Um, and he was an eyewitness because he was in Swansea. He said that some native men did break into a house, but they were looking for food um, because you know everything we talked about. Most of the tribes were hurting for food for various reasons. Almost most of all of them directly related to the British and the relationship between the two societies. Um, and they broke into a house and then a civilian shot one of them. Now, mm. this, this might sound normal to Americans listening uh, that like shooting, oh. you know, like shooting someone that breaks into your home is like, yeah, of course you would do that. And for our, interna right. and for our international listeners, yes, we realize how insane that sounds. Um, uh, he does. I don't. <laughs> but uh the natives like this wasn't the case back then like people did not expect to get shot right especially over just stealing and that's when like a natives after one of them got shot went to a local garrison and asked hey what the fuck we just wanted some food um the the men inside then told them to fuck off and the ne the next day uh, the, this apparently happened on the 19th and on the 20th is when the raid happened and according to Easton, it was in revenge uh for shooting one of their own and it killed nine colonists so depends on we, we honestly don't know which part is true i think both of them could be very true um because there's there's obvious that there was a you know years long process of building tension between the two sides where like you, you can't just keep treating people like that and expect them not to do something right of course now whatever happened the governor ordered 200 men under the command of major william bradford to march in protect the town and they really didn't um oh no after they killed the nine colonists, like the the native warriors kind of hung out in the surrounding woods mm -hmm. uh, and like shot at people that would come by. They were still stealing things. Um, the militia parked itself inside the town's garrison building and decided that they were only worth protecting the people who had actually made it into that same building. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much the same as like a mall security guard, uh, I guess. Yeah, well, that's not true. Mall security guard don't actually do anything at all. These guys would at least like shoot back. <laughs> um now like 
the thing is, is like you can't trap people in a, into a blockhouse for very long. There's not a lot of food or water in there. Uh, everybody left everything at their homes. So like they're like, after you know a couple hours or whatever, like, well, I'm going to go home and get something. And that person would wander out of the neighborhood blockhouse and get picked off by an, uh, a native sniper. Because uh, remember, they're very good shots from hunting and stuff like that. Um, men inside the, the blockhouse themselves were also occasionally clapped by a walling sniper fire through the windows. Um, now, remember back uh, in, in episode one when I said that the trading of guns to native tribes has become very important? Um, this is kind of one of those things. In early, early colonial America, it's seen as uh, like, I mean, this is, a, is certainly an American thing. Um, and pop culture is, is a huge part of why this is the case. Um, we think of it as being populated by like hard men, hunters, trackers, survivalists, like weak people wouldn't survive here, right? Like, like that, that's, how, that's how we've always been told to think of like colonial America is that it's a hard scrabble life. And if you're weak, you died. That's not true at all. Um, I mean, uh, in a, growing up in America, you're told that these early colonialists and like frontiers men were Terminator levels of indestructible, you know? Um, and there were a couple of those guys floating around. Uh, one guy named Edward Church, who was literally nicknamed the King of the Wild Frontier, which is oh, kinda, boy. Okay. Kinda ball, it's kind of baller. Um, it is kind of baller, I guess. Uh, but they were by far a tiny tiny minority remember like we talked about in the last episode the vast majority of colonists were just normal farmers who were actually actually quite malnourished sick you know oh yeah they're desperately just trying to get by they were just some dudes and probably not healthy ones right. um and th these were farmers like they were there's normal farming like there would have been in england because that's where these people came from for the most part um so like hunting and the general use of firearms was actually a rich guy hobby. Because if you think about it, the normal people have to fucking farm every day. They have to do right. back-breaking labor just so they can eat. They don't have time to like go grab their brown best musket or whatever and go like pot some deer. That was something the well-off people did. Even members of the militia rarely fired their weapons. So like they weren't great shots. And it, but they also didn't need to be because remember, they're framed on European style warfare, which is lines of infantry firing volleys like you don't right, have so to. They're not used to getting picked off in the woods. Yeah, they're not going to they're not exactly going to be. A, you don't need to be a great shot to do that. And the, nobody had any military experience outside the Pequot War, which we talked about briefly, um, which was very, very small and wasn't fought at all like a European war that meant. That meant these militiamen had no idea how to how to fight in the ninety nine percent rural landscape of New England, which is heavily forested, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of unbroken forest. Um, so now they're 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 definitely finding themselves in a bad way. Uh, in in comparison, the native warriors were the total opposite. The tribes were not usually hunters. Some of them were not usually hunters. Some were fishermen, some were whatever. But, you know, they were driven into this lifestyle by the constant encroachment on their lands by, by, by the British. I mean, to a lesser right, extent, the French and the Dutch as well. Um, and they had to trade various things and to get firearms from the white people. And then they were not given a large amount of ammunition because that was a me mechanism of control. Control, sure. So that meant... 
they couldn't fucking miss when they shot. So they had to become incredibly good shots. Um, and then they slowly adopted uh, those, those firearms into new hunting practices that they had to develop because they know their choice or old hunting practices, which, you know, stalking, camouflage, things like that. Um, this meant they were the best shots in North America by far, because if you're hunting with a black powder musket and you have a very, very limited amount of ammunition, you only get one shot and your dinner gets away if you miss or you starve. You know, they were, they were great at stalking, tracking and camouflage because their lives had literally become to depend on it. And due to the fact that their lives depended on their guns working flawlessly, and every time they pulled the trigger, many of these warriors had become impromptu gunsmiths because they had to learn how to wow. fix them. And they could actually improve them in some cases, like light, like learn how to carve away things they didn't need so they'd be lighter, stuff like that. So as the soldiers moved out of Swansea, trying to push into the surrounding forest and get out to get at these bands of uh, of 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 warriors who were sniping at them, they pretty much only succeeded into walking into a continuous ambush and getting shot at by people they couldn't see. And then, you know, they would do the normal thing of like trying to form a line, uh, organize volleys so they could fire back. Uh, and by the time they did that, the warriors had already displaced and they were shooting at empty bushes. When enough soldiers finally showed up that they could sweep the entire local, like this is happening on a peninsula in Swansea, and they thought that the best way that they could finally find all these warriors is to sweep the entire peninsula at once, the warriors simply left, withdrawing into the territory uh, controlled by the Pocasset tribe. The settler's resident expert, Edward Church, remember, the king of the wild frontier, he, you know, he, he kind of realized what was happening. Um, and he said, you know, the, the, literally the only way we can do this is if we just chase after them. We can't slow down. We can't worry about forming lines and whatnot, any of this bullshit. Like, we just need to attack them. Uh, but instead, it was decided to drop down a fort uh, in the area and garrison it. And from there, they would send out small patrols who were then again ambushed by warriors who were still lurking in the woods. Though, the failure of these patrols could have had something to do with this garrison idea, which you know was probably never going to work. Or it could have also done by the could have been a problem based on uh, the soldiers at the of the quality of the soldiers that the Massachusetts Bay Colony had actually sent out. Right um, now, not wanting to send their best soldiers into the woods to a wild goose chase, they oh, kept boy. they kept those guys close to Massachusetts, like the the core of Massachusetts, for themselves. Mm -hmm. Instead, they scraped together a bunch of criminals, gave them guns, uh, and like most of these guys were literally convicted pirates, which is admittedly, that's okay. kind of cool. That's kind of cool. cool. That's, that's cool. all right. All right. However, uh, their commander was a convicted pirate named Samuel Mosley, um, and he was so racist, even for the time, he refused to even use a native scout, meaning he and his, I don't know. Merry brand of crackers, yes. Yeah, all just continually got lost in the woods. Yeah, uh, do it. And, and then shot at. Now, we don't know if a church's plan to storm through the Pocasset area was going to work. But we do, well, we do know it didn't work, and that's what happened. Um, and Philip was now fully on board with the war because it's not really like he had much of a, chance, a choice anymore. You know, sure. like the war was started. It didn't matter if he was anti it or not. Right. Yeah, he was going to get the blame for it. 
Um, and since uh, uh, Philip ran into the Pocasset area, he decided to talk to the leadership to try to get them to join together, right? The settlers learned this uh, when they sent a diplomatic party because they also realized that they have to get the natives to kind of either A, join their side, normally via threats, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, later, or B, um, like denounce Philip at minimum. But when their diplomatic party walked into Pocasset land, they immediately got shot in the face. So there was a hint that something was off. Now, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the Pocassets may have joined Philip. Sir, why do you think that? Well, our diplomat- I'm getting domed right now. <laughs> <laughs> our diplomat just got connected to the king's Wi-Fi. <laughs> the war was rapidly spreading. And while it hadn't started as a grand native plan in any way, it certainly was turning into one because, uh, you know, uh, through the greater unified theory of fuck England. Right, of course. Church warned the government that this would happen if Philip escaped and managed to gather more allies by his side. Namely, they were worried about the Narragansetts. Uh, like we talked about the last episode. Narragansetts, were... Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Narragansetts. Narragansetts. Uh, they were by far the most powerful tribe in the entire region. Um. But they had stayed neutral. Um, they they were not fans of the English. Uh, they you know they were like everyone else. They didn't. They weren't in some kind of alliance with the English on by choice. Um, but they weren't taking the English side either. They were staying neutral, and they told Philip to fuck off and leave them alone. They wanted to stay out of this. Now, the easiest way to explain why they wanted to do this isn't because they didn't support shooting the English or driving them from native land. I'm sure they did. Um, or because that they hated the, the natives that had sided with uh, Philip because they also hated them. Uh, because remember that everybody, everybody hates everybody in this situation, but they were quite practically, uh, they figured like, well, if these two sides shoot each other, I can clean up the mess and take yes. over both sides. Yes. Yeah. Totally you makes sense. Got to play both sides. That way you can never lose. That way you, I always come out on top. That's right. However, the settlers' way of ensuring that the Narragansetts stayed uh, neutral was by doing it the most English way possible. Oh, they, sh- boy. they showed up at a Narragansett camp and demanded hostages, uh, which nearly demanded ended- hostages. That's pretty- yes. okay. <laughs> yeah, of course, the idea is like, well, you won't fight a war if we have like your Satchum's son as as a as a hostage. Little do you know, I've been waiting to I've been waiting to kill that son of a bitch my whole life. Yeah, the hostage the hostage system doesn't really work if you fucking hate your kids, you know. Yeah, um, I, I feel yeah, like that's why that's why the Soviet Union won World War II. <laughs> uh, and this almost ended with the diplomats getting shot in the face. Um, then they, oh, they, they should have honestly. They did acquiesce and give them hostages, uh, but it was definitely like a. All right, I'll give you my cousin or whatever. I don't even like this yeah, idea. Yeah, I don't here. give a shit about this. Who can I find down here? Now just give me a second, please. Um, but the Narragansetts didn't declare outright, but the meeting ended with them not really being neutral anymore because, of course, it fucking didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be neutral either. They did. Give, end me, up- my, give me my cousin's kid back, please. <laughs> yeah. Give me back that idiot who has mittens pinned to his jackets year round and getting farts at dinner tables. <laughs> We love he's our village idiot. You leave us alone. Yeah. He's our village idiot. You can't have one. We don't have any like our draft uh our our, our draft pool for the village idiot is quite uh thin due to all of the malnourishment. 
They can't do that to our pledges. Only we can do that to our <laughs> pledges. Now, the the Narragansetts did sign a like a treaty that 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 they said that they would stay out of this uh, conflict, but they saw this um, as completely pointless. They, they didn't really believe in the agreement because they didn't make it on their own free will. Because of course they fucking didn't. Now, the Wampanoags over the next few weeks raided their way through the area. Taunton and Old Rehoboth, uh both got lit up by the end of June. By July, the entire settlement of Middleborough was destroyed and Dartmouth was hit uh, by a different tribe that decided it was time to join in on the fun. Now, I should point out here that oftentimes, it, like uh, in some histories of the war, this is like shown as being evidence of a, of a like a native alliance confederation or some of some kind. But it imagine at best, it's pretty loose. It, it, and, it's, and, and it just bases on fuck that guy. It's more based on fuck that guy than the tribes working together at all. Because, you know, word, word travels fast. And when people are getting raided, they're like, fuck yeah, let's go. Because everybody's been waiting to do this. Um, the Nipmuc people also joined and attacked Menden, Lancaster, and Medfield. Uh, and by July, the war had spread from Plymouth to involve virtually all of New England. So, yeah, things, things went uh, quite quick. To shit. To hell in a handbasket, as my mother would say. However, according to James Cudworth, a commander uh, from Plymouth, he had located Philip's position, and they were getting uh, going to surround and starve him out. Though Church, again, the guy who actually knows what he's doing here, pointed out how stupid this was, saying, attempting to surround a native warrior in his own backyard was completely pointless, and he would certainly find a way out. Yeah, he knows the land a little better than you do, guy. Yeah. yeah. However, Cudworth just ignored him, and they did what they like to do the most. Build another fort. They love doing it. They God love, damn, they love doing it. Um, and this is near the swamp he thought Philip was hiding in. And he and once was again, he? Uh, he was there. Yeah, he was there somewhere. But they were okay. never. They were never going to find them. Oh sure. Um, and they de- once again they patrol. Uh, they deployed patrols to track down and destroy uh, like anything connected to the war effort. And this is the first time during the war that the militia purposely targeted uh, native food supplies. Mm. This is really, this is going to come up. Uh, a m- much much worse in part three. Of course, uh, it is. but uh, something uh, comes up worse in part three. Yeah, are, you, are we sure? Possibly. Yeah, wow, it might be a thing that we do consistently here. It is a thing we do consistently yeah. because, yeah, I mean, people are garbage. Execute your local Englishman. Of uh, no, like of this um, tactic, Church took no part in it, and he said, "Quote: The army now lay still to cover the people from nobody while they are building a fort for nothing." I like that. It's poetic. Yeah. Um, honestly, that if you could copy and paste that quote to like the war in Afghanistan or or Iraq or Vietnam, it would work great. Another reason for this uh, was that rather than the full offensive that Church kept begging for, because he he knew that would be the only thing that would end this, all of this fort building and like small patrols and whatever required fewer soldiers and was much it easier to do. Starcraft. <laughs> Church simply did not want to build additional pylons. No. He, he didn't think the pylons were important. But you know, it's also important to remember that none of these militiamen are full-time soldiers. There are no right. full-time they're soldiers. Guys. They're just guys. They're just guys. And more importantly, they're farmhands. Um, all of them had fields to work and it was about to be harvest season. So like, you know, remember a, a bad harvest in these days literally meant a whole lot of death and misery. Die, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, what did we call it? Uh, exploding disease or something? Ex- mist disease? Exploding mist disease. Um, and, you know, well, I, I should point out, you know, it, a bad harvest means 
more death and misery than normal because there's always death and misery in in, in colonial America. Uh, so they chose the option that allowed them to send the majority of their soldiers home so they could work. Of course, Philip escaped, running into Nipmuc territory where he ran to Waneko, son of Uncas, who had continued the family tradition of being something of uh, an eager uh, ally of the, the of the settlements, right? Oh, that's going to end poorly for you, my friend. Like there, there's some people who are forced to work for the British, and there are some. Oh, there's this who, fucking guy. <laughs> and there, there's some people who are, who are uh, enthusiastic supporters because it benefits them, right? Right. This is where the war should have ended. When Echo and about 265 men had Philip dead to rights in the first battle of Nipsichuk. Today is it's in like Smithfield, Rhode Island. Um, we don't know much about the battle itself. Um, there's no firsthand written accounts or anything, but we do know that Philip was badly outnumbered. Uh, and he, because he only had forty warriors and thirty guns. Oh, oh no! Uh, Twenty-three of Philip's men were killed, and he was forced to run off and hide in a swamp once again. Philip ends up hiding in swamps quite frequently. Actually, yeah, loves doing it. He just loves a good swamp. You know? Yeah, he's a you know you get stuff like uh, I don't know a lot of Frexian mana that way. He's on he's history's first Shrek. Um. <laughs> Two awful jokes, back to back. That's great. Um, and, and reportedly, uh, according to Easton, the, the Quaker, Philip was ready to surrender at this point. However, Winneko, not being the best commander, nor even from the area, got lost uh, in, uh, in, in the swamp while wandering through the area and trying to find Philip and his few remaining men. Afterward, Philip was able to escape again, this time uh, finding safety with the Nipmuc people. Uh, the administration of Boston was trying to win over the Nipmuc at the same time, despite the fact that they'd already attacked Menden. Uh, they were hoping that if they called everybody down, they would you know, be able to, because the Nipmuc weren't, weren't the most powerful tribe. They figured, you know, if they maybe they get one of the weaker ones to, to go back to their, to their camps or maybe join their side via threats and kidnapping, then things would be better, right? They're hoping to nip this problem in the bud before, you know, the whole, uh, fuck the colonies train fully left right. the station and turned everyone into a uh, mist a diplomatic party of around 25 men set off to find uh, the nipmuc leaders uh and they fully planned um like they had done with the narragansetts like forced them into a treaty at gunpoint right 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 of course and then they found the villages abandoned uh which probably should have been a hint that something was off and then they ran into a group of nipmuc who were out like foraging or something uh, and they said, and these guys apparently weren't too keen on the war either, because they told the, the diplomats, like, you might want to go home. This was also ignored. Instead, they kept going, walking straight into an ambush, which is now known as Wheeler's Surprise, which... Wheeler's, what a name. <laughs> yeah, that, that's certainly a name for an ambush. Uh, named for Captain Thomas Wheeler, who is the commander of the mission. Wheeler uh, immediately ordered either a retreat uh, or the 25 men broke and ran. Both are very possible. We don't know. As they tried to flee, another group of Nipmuc appeared from behind them, pinning them in, shooting and hacking them with hatchets. Almost immediately, Captain Wheeler and his second command, Captain Hutchinson, were wounded. And everybody was probably going to die quite horribly if it wasn't for the men's local guides from the Natick tribe, who just took command of the entire mission and led them out of the kill zone. The guides ran towards the town of Brookfield, knowing the Nipmuc, led by a Satchel Muddawump, were right behind them and were going to continue the attack. The surviving members of the mission and the 70 people of the town, because remember, these are very small towns. It's a town of 70 people. 
uh, all barricade themselves into the town's blockhouse. Mudawump, who is now who now probably has hundreds of men, attack the blockhouse, which is pretty easily fought off uh, because you know when you're attacking a was effectively a fortified position. It's not going to go so well by large. Yeah, you're fighting the colonist game. Then, like they can sit in there and just shoot at you in volleys. Right. Then, channeling his inner wily coyote. Oh boy, Mudawump got an idea. He loaded a wheelbarrow up with flammable shit he had found laying around. Okay, all right. And was a, was about to just, uh, he was going to send a warrior to charge towards the blockhouse with it, which to me sounds like he was accidentally trying to create a suicide bomber. This feels like a kamikaze attack, I was going to yeah. say. Um, but right as the, the plane was unfo- uh, uh, unraveling here, uh, it started to rain, so he couldn't do that. As the nitmuck sat around thinking about how to close this one out, a, re- a relief column from Lancaster showed up. Uh, which made things a lot more even than Mudawup would have liked. Like, he didn't show up here for a fair fight. He thought he was fighting 70 people. And uh, so he stole the entire town's livestock and retreated. All right. <laughs> if, if you if you can't suicide bomb the blockhouse, you got to do the next best thing. Steal, steal all the cows or whatever. They're probably pigs, honestly. Um Mudawump and his men pulled back to a fort that they had built, uh, linking up with Philip and creating a hot spot for anti-colonial activity that drew in warriors from across the region. And soon the Connecticut River Valley became a scene of several raids as well, leading to Boston sending troops there. Now, um, this is uh, an interesting kind of thing because normally this is happening around tribal lines, but this fort would just like random natives who wanted to join in, even if their tribe said no, would all just coalesce there yeah it's like i don't know it, it the recruiting station in, in 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 a in a decent part of town i guess boston's military in the region be organized by john pynchon a man who begged the government to not give him the job because he said quote i would not be very good at this job which okay all right so they totally did it anyway though that's yes that's, yeah all right cool you get it. You got it. Like I'm not going to say anything nice about most of the colonists in this, but like at least he's honest. This is like, please don't do this to me. I ju- I just want to eat shit at farming. Yeah, like I just want to. I, I want to go back to my day job of being a literal shit shoveler um, <laughs> with, with my family of internal parasites that I hang out with. <laughs> oh, you fellas ever heard of mist disease? Now, uh, other colonial attempts at diplomacy went about as well as you can imagine. The Battle of South Deerfield started because commanders Thomas Lathrop and Richard Beers took about 100 men to attack the Norwaduck tribe um, because they literally planned to like, well, if we murder the whole tribe, they can't join the war effort. They weren't even involved yet. Now, they succeeded again in getting ambushed in a swamp um, because I, I didn't know there were so many swamps in the Northeast. Apparently, you're just swamp people there. Yeah. Me? Yeah, I'm I'm lumping you in it because you're close enough. You fucking Yankee. Liam. You could just say Yankee. You Liam the swamp creature. Wow, dude, that yeah, <laughs> that's not wrong, but like you don't have to say it. I prefer swamp person. Oh, I prefer swamp dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they now they succeeded in once again getting ambushed in the swamp, like I said, but they did succeed in two things. Again, getting shot in a swamp. Uh, which is apparently Siddler's favorite thing to do and uh, driving a neutral tribe directly into the anti-colonial forces that were growing there because of course they fucking would. Right. As Springfield was raided, once again, colonial militia marched up to a neutral tribe. They tell. 
This time, the Agawam and demanded their guns. This caused the Agawam to shoot a couple of people and join the resistance. I'm starting to think that these guys are not that good at diplomacy, Liam. I'm really starting to doubt their, uh, their ability to, to talk their way out of this one. Now, up in Maine, things were much different. There was effectively no war yet. However, word had gotten back to the colonists that shit was popping off down south. So acting on the assumption that every native tribe must be working together, I assume they believed that they had some un- previously unknown communication system which would, have allowed, which would have made all of this possible. Um, so they believed that even the tribes in Maine, which hadn't done anything yet, uh, were about to join in, right? So men from York, Maine, armed themselves to the teeth and marched off to confront the Androscoggin tribe, demanding they hand over all of their guns. Sure. Okay, the, guys. The Androscoggin... These fucking assholes. <laughs> the Androscoggin answered by raiding a nearby trading post and killing a couple of cows. This shit just keeps happening. A group of colonists were sailing down the Casco Bay and saw a group of native men from the Pensacobit tribe knocking on the door of a house they knew to be owned by settlers. So without exchanging words or without any warning, they simply started shooting at them. They launched a fucking sailboat drive-by based on nothing other than seeing some native guys standing outside of a house. Now, this tribe had, hadn't just been neutral, actually. They were allies of the colonists for years. Uh, so after that, though, they grabbed their guns and made for the forts in the woods, which today would be in Winslow, Maine. And then there's uh, an Abenaki leader named Squando, a man who had been plotting his revenge against the colonists for as long as anybody could remember, for a reason that is, like, it's the, it's the origins of a super, uh, like a comic book superhero. Okay, hear me out. Ye- years before this, his infant child had been killed by colonists because the colonists had heard a rumor, and I swear to God this is true, that Native people could swim from birth. Like they could just, if, if a, like a Native child was born, he just inherently knew how to swim. So when um, the infant and his mother were out by a riverbank, uh, these colonists simply like seized upon them and shucked them into the river just to see if it was true. And they died because of course they fucking did. Just amazing. That's that's so fucking awful, dude. I he, hate it <laughs> he was joined by a Narragansett leader nicknamed, and I, the coolest nickname of this entire series, the Yankee Killer. That is a good, that is good. Hell yeah. And in a, uh, an Androscoggin leader named, significantly less coolly, Mug Hegon. Mug Hegon. All right. <laughs> yeah. And together, they unleashed a month-long string of violence throughout Maine in September 1675. Towns were raided, and everything that could be burned was, including people, while they were still alive. In Sacco, they nearly succeeded in killing the entire garrison. They also attacked Winter Harbor, forcing the colonists to abandon it before burning it to the ground. Which is this is much much more interesting than's happening in like the Connecticut River Valley, because in the Connecticut River Valley, people are being killed, of course, but livestock's being stolen. People are raiding people's uh, each other's houses, stealing goods. Right. In in Maine, they're literally just destroying everything. They're not stealing anything. Maine the, does a different man. They're they're like a Yankee killer and mug are literally murdering everything. Like we we're yeah, we're hungry, but we're burning the fucking cows. We don't care. If we're hungry that everyone's hungry. Yeah. Soon even York, Maine would be within their gun sights. They seem to be everywhere, but also nowhere at once. Anytime the militia attempted to strike out uh, before being raided again, they would find nothing or be led into another ambush. Maine fucking burned. 
Men, women, and children everywhere got snatched by the shadows, dragged off into the woods to be butchered with the remains scattered into pieces oh for the militia oh. to be found. Okay. All right. Absolutely, Fair enough. <laughs> absolutely nothing the militia could do could stop them and Squando, the Yankee killer, and Hegon as they laid out a stream of revenge that spanned the eastern seaboard. The only thing that slowed them down was the encroaching winter freeze. And I should also point out here, we'll talk about more of the, the, the colonist brutality later, mostly next episode. They were also doing that. Oh, of course um, they were. Like if you remember from episode one, the, 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 the effectively butchering of people and laying their uh, remains out like that was not a normal part of uh, the Eastern tribes warfare until the Pequot War, where they learned it from the British. Mm-hmm. Like they were literally attempting terror warfare. Like if you like stay in your fucking like stop fucking with us or this is going to happen to you. And they right. were both they were both doing it by the time um, uh, in November when everybody pulled back to their winter quarters, at least 80 colonists were dead, which if you have to adjust for the for the for the fact that the entire col- colonial population of a was, lot. Yeah. was 5000. Right. Yeah. Back down the Connecticut River Valley over the same time frame, the, the Norwatuk, furious at the assholes who had been uh, showed up brandishing guns, began to raid Deerfield and Northfield. Northfield was put to the torch, leaving almost nothing standing. The tribes were so pissed they didn't even steal the livestock and instead shot them and set them on fire. Though they did get some revenge on the guys who dragged them into us on September 4th when they ambushed a patrol being led by Richard Beers, which, remember, is one of the diplomats who... Well, diplomat, he's, he's a guy who pointed a gun at them and made them sign a treaty. I don't want to use the word diplomat for that. Um, and his entire patrol was killed, including him. Uh, then a week after that, another 20 men walked into an ambush at Deerfield, prompting colonial uh, authorities to simply say, fuck it, we're abandoning Deerfield. Fair enough. <laughs> Captain Lathrop, the other guy responsible for the Norbatuck stick-up job slash diplomacy mission, was put in charge of evacuating Deerfield. His soldiers were escorting the civilians of the town when they got to, they, they also got ambushed, this time by the Nipmuc people led by Mudawamp and what would become known as the Battle of Bloody Brook. So uh, I will say, battle is a strong term. This is simply more, this is definitely more of a massacre. A wagon train pulled over as militiamen stopped and I swear to God, pick grapes that they had found. Um, and, you know, I, I, I guess it makes sense because, you know, everybody's starving and dying. Hey, look, some fruit. Uh, but guys, you're in the middle of a war zone. Uh, they got so distracted by some fruit that they set their guns on the ground so they could gather more. Uh, so, of course, that's around 700 Nipmuc warriors attack them. When all of their guns are on the ground, their pockets are full of grapes. <laughs> the militiamen were taken by such surprise. It's normally written that most of them died before they even got back to their guns. Captain Lathrop, his men, and the civilians totaling around 80 died quickly and horribly. And worst of all, they never got to eat any of the grapes. I mean, mean, again, think of how small these populations are. In one ambush, 80 people are killed. Right. That's insane casualty. percentage points, right. Yeah. Then the Nipmuc destroyed Deerfield, burning it to the ground. Responding to this. Deerfield just can't catch a break, huh? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they did deserve it, but they deserve it. If Deerfield still exists today, uh, they deserve it again. They do. All right. <laughs> Responding to this, the garrison of troops that was guarding Springfield ran out to stop them, but they got fucking played because as soon as they left Springfield, they didn't simply dodge around them and attack Springfield, which is now undefended. And then that was also had most of the town burnt to the ground. 
including their grain storage, which is the last thing that can that you can allow to happen in a situation like this. Um, imagine how like annoyed those soldiers are running off to help Deerfield as this as their town explodes behind them. <laughs> God, oh, like damn Lot's it. wife looking back. <laughs> like God damn it, they're behind us, aren't they? I hate this place. <laughs> This finally got Pinchon fired, who again, to his credit, told him he should not have been hired in the first place. That one is really not on him. Now, Can you imagine that exit interview? Yeah, like, uh, General Pinchon, how could you do this? He's like, I told you this would happen. I want to go home, man. Yeah. A man named Samuel Appleton was put in charge of the combined forces of Massachusetts and Connecticut. And finally, under his command, they're able to stop a Nipmuc raid from destroying the town of Hatfield, which was effectively the first colonial victory of the war so far, which is a low bar so far. Though, um, by now, the reality and and just the rumors of the war began to spread across to the the colonies that had so far kind of dodged the violence. Uh, Everybody knew about it. Like, Like I've pointed out, these towns... Most of these towns lacked garrisons, any way of defending themselves, either because they simply didn't have one or because they were so small, that, like local administrators thought that maybe it wasn't worth it. So a massive wave of refugees began running east to the point it became a logistical and humanitarian nightmare. Just the towns back then are, are tiny. Remember, there's a couple of these have 50, 70 people, even them, sometimes even less everybody's living even in like the big towns like boston people are living hand to mouth like there's no it's there's no going down to the store and buying your food for the week like that that's not something that existed like people were living uh, subsistence farming lifestyles some people weren't but the vast majority of people were, were not doing well and all of this still needed these far-flung towns to like literally scratch shit out of the ground and hopefully there was enough food to go around but you know, when, when say places like Boston and other towns suddenly have hundreds or maybe even thousands in a population so small piling into these towns, um, they, there just wasn't enough food in the first place. And now they don't have any. These people are all going to starve, right? And now there's another impact of abandoning all of this area and running east where it's more protective. You're losing, you're abandoning all this farmland, which everybody needed to continue living, uh, needed to continue farming in order so they could continue living and scraping by. The colonies simply couldn't survive with their population running east. Remember, they had that baby boom, which is, a, which is why they expanded so far. They needed to keep them farming where they were, and more importantly, not piling into towns and causing a starvation crisis. Appleton had to order the colonists into more remote areas to stay where they were, and nobody was allowed to abandon anything without his explicit permission, which he was not going to give. And not to mention, this meant that all of these people are eventually going to be attacked and murdered by native warriors, because he was also not sending them any protection either. Somewhat incredibly, this coincided with the coming of winter again. So the natives that had been putting the Connecticut River Valley to the torch packed it up and went home until the season passed. The militias did the same thing, breaking their camp and going home to die of, uh, I don't know, it's a winter disease, spitting frost lung. Spitting lung, <laughs> yeah. The Nargans- cold, you die of cold. <laughs> yeah, you died of the sniffles. It's the 1600s, bitch. It's 16, oh, this, is, this is just what it is. Like, we can't do anything about that. The Narragansett tribe, despite uh, a few warriors acting on their own, had not yet fully joined the war officially as a tribe. A prospect uh, of them doing that absolutely terrified the colonies. They were by and far the most powerful tribe in New England, and the colonies were very aware that by you know uh, 
fall, members of the tribe are joined the Nipmunk, Wampanoag, and others. Each time they and each time they heard this, the colonies once again showed their ass and pissed off the Narragansetts more, normally showing up, threatening them, stuff like that. I already talked about the uh, the gunpoint treaty they signed, but that kept happening over and over again. And another in another occasion, the colonies demanded Narragansetts hand over all of the Wampanoag refugees that they were sheltering, which the tribe fully knew would have been selling them into slavery. So the tribe refused the demands. There were some tribal leaders who wanted to sit the war out and still others that were fine with training with the colonists and trying to smooth things over because, you know, life was easier when you did that, of course. There were also some, namely the leader Kananchet, who possibly commanded as many 3,000 warriors who seemed to be just really wanting to join in on the fun but had not yet. Nobody is entirely sure why. But it could have been the more moderate tribal leaders uh, talking him down and hoping the colonists are smart enough to not directly fuck with the tribe, right? They were, however, not smart enough to not directly fuck with the tribe for very long. In November, the colonies voted to dispatch a thousand men directly into Narragansett territory, claiming that the tribe had not fully fulfilled the proportions of the treaty that they had signed. We can assume that meant that by simply not listening to every single thing the colonies had told them to do. These weren't exactly negotiations. You might be asking, wow, was the United Colonies really ready and capable of sustaining a thousand men in the field over the course of winter? Fuck no, no, they weren't. Rhode Rhode Island straight up refused to send any men on the mission because how dumb it sounded. Like, no, that sounds like a recipe for dying in the forest. By December, men were already dropping from frostbite, shedding dead toes like so many feathers off of a bird. They'd find themselves in one of the region's most bloody battles as the force under the command of Governor Winslow attacked a fortified Narragansett village located in the, you guessed it, another swamp. Um, <laughs> we're, just, we're just shrekking everything up today. <laughs> get, get a Shrek harder. Uh, this became known as the Great Swamp Fight. Um, though, Great name. Again, that, that name is not fully fair. Massacre is probably much more Whoa. accurate. The colonial militia had been tipped off by a native guide who was called... Indian Peter. Jesus. Who led them into a Narragansett village. The village was strategically placed in an area of the swamp that was normally surrounded by what would effectively be the swamp version of a moat. It was, would have been uncrossable, right? Um, but it was December and it had frozen over. The village had been fortified with walls and firing positions, but without the added layer of the swamp keeping the, the attacking colonial militia back, the warriors on the inside simply couldn't sustain the amount of fire needed to keep back a thousand men. Though they did figure out kind of, this is kind of fun in the middle of all this misery, they did find out if, you, if they shot the frozen swamp when the men were charging across the, the frozen area, they would, it would the, the, the ice would break and they'd fall yeah. into the swamp and die of hypothermia, which is quite that, funny. Tasty. Swampothermia. What a what what a hell of a way to die. They 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 died from what is called as the 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 uh, the Shrekothermia, the cold ogres. I don't know. Good morning, Joe. (laughs) Look, not not all of them can be good. Fuck off. Okay, Joe. It didn't take long for the colonial militia, who vastly outnumbered the amount of warriors behind the walls, to overwhelm the defenders. They thought that maybe there's ninety warriors on the inside. And uh, about a thousand militia. And once inside, they did find 900 unarmed civilians, mostly women and children, of the Narragansett tribe. Oh, you uh, said it right, correct, this time. What happened next would be something that you would have expected to see in Nanking rather than New England. Oh, no. 
Men, women, and children were butchered and torn apart. Many of the militiamen cut away pieces to keep as souvenirs. If any members of the tribe were lucky enough to be able to run off into the swamp, they would die in the freezing cold of a New England winter because they were running off with no food or shelter and they would die of exposure. After several hours of ruthless murder, they set uh, what was left of the village on fire. Unfortunately, about 500 people were hiding and they were burned to death. Casualty numbers are really uh, all over the place on this due to the, the year and the lack of recording. But at least a thousand Narragansetts could have died. The vast majority of them civilians. A tribe who, remember, was not actually in the war yet. 80 of the colonial militia died with another 150 wounded. The amount of shot they fired off during this, though, uh, and the casualties they took rendered Winslow's force completely useless for any further fighting after this battle was over. And they dragged the Narragansetts fully into the war. Going to be honest with you, I'm not really sure what they hope to achieve with this one. I cannot imagine a situation where you murder a thousand people and don't immediately want to throw everything you have into killing you back as soon as possible. Puritans, truly military masterminds. However, on the bright side of things, when this plan was tried against the Abenaki in Maine, the colonial militia uh, was forced to turn around because they ran out of food and they began dying because they were trying to do things in the winter in Maine. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I have done that. Wouldn't do it again. Uh, they did get all the way to like New Hampshire and they, uh, the, the vast majority of them died from frostbite. Oh boy, exposure. no seatbelt laws. Too bad I'm going to die of cold mist. Hey, boys, what if we uh, lived not free and died of frostbite? Uh, Maine itself would go largely quiet during the winter as the Abenaki were being hammered by the same terrible winter as everybody else. Uh, um, and, you know, being racked with disease and exposure, as well as the stresses of war, put their food supply, name, uh, uh, or you know, whatever bad situation the food supply was already in, it pretty much destroyed it entirely. So they couldn't exactly go to war. And the militia had gotten their teeth kicked in by the weather, so they were done. In fact, effectively, the war was over in Maine, at least temporarily. So we'll come back to that one. And uh, we'll come back to the series as well, because this would not be the case in southern New England, where the war would reach much new heights and much new lows, really. And that is where we'll pick up next time on the conclusion of part three. Um, Liam, how you, how, you, how you feeling after this? I fucking story? hate white people. Uh, myself included, uh, as the son of a New Englander, uh, who is the most bitter man I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I'm excited to show this one to my dad. I feel real bad about it. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't really understand. I, I will say this is going to get a bit preachy for a second, but like, I just don't understand this weird right wing grift insistence that like America has never done anything wrong, and like. I also don't necessarily agree with the left's with some people on the left's positioning that like we're a unique evil. I I think imperialism is bad no matter what funny hat it wears, but like this shit fucking sucks, dude. I think uh both and of I those take I think both of those takes in American history are very very uh myopic and uninformed. And, and yeah, they're 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 not uh, they don't make any sense. They're not serious. I mean, for for one, I don't I think the the right wing talking point is effectively boils down to might makes right. And the left, and I'm, I'm not going to say both the right and the left are bad about this, uh, but uh, this idea that America is a uniquely evil uh, society is fucking stupid. Uh, literally, open a history book to almost any country in the history of the world, um, like especially any kind of, uh, in, especially in the modern age of, of of imperialism. Anybody who took over their neighbor, anybody who uh, went to war with the indigenous populations, um, 
I mean, I live in a very, very small country with a lot of, um, who's been a victim of a lot of that from, from neighbors. And a lot of the countries that did that largely get a pass because they're not like America or Canada or the UK. It's kind of disgusting. Um, I, I, I think a lot of that has to do with this might make right shit or this America is uniquely awful has a lot to do with the fact that the people that believe that live here and they think that America is the main character of every story. Um, and that is the very dumb way to look at the world. <laughs> yep. I'll co sign that. <laughs> um, Liam, plug your shows. Listen to, well, there's your problem. Listen to 10,000 losses. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, if you like this episode and, you know, how optimistic and happy it was, uh, like it always free, is. If, uh, consider donating to the show. You make, uh, you know, you support the show. You make uh, all, everything we do here possible. Plus, you get bonus stuff. Uh, you like episodes like this early. You get bonus episodes, access to the Discord, books, stickers, discounts, stuff like that. Uh, or if you don't want to give us your money, you don't have to. It's your money. Do with it what you will. Uh, you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you use. It helps um, us. Uh, for instance, we were nominated for an award, I assume, based on iTunes reviews. I think that's how they probably did that. Um, I, I don't I don't know how that worked. I didn't I didn't submit the show for anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like the reviews do really help. Uh, also, they let us know that, you know, you like what we're doing, um, which is nice to hear sometimes all the time, really. Um, and uh, check out uh, my book series, uh, The Forlorn Hope. Um, uh, they, they're all out now. People have said that they are, in fact, a book. They're uh, a book. Again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time, uh, don't go on a camping trip in the, in no, the main No, you bit. will turn into <laughs> winter shit. And, and, and don't go. That hang was out. the winter of our discontent. Made glorious summer by the sun of York. I say as I shit out of my mouth. <laughs> Do not go hang out in the woods in Maine in the middle of winter with a thousand of your homies. No homies. Oh, you did it. <laughs>